Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You have traders and you have investors, and baking bread is, is being an investor. It's for the long term. You're watching something grow. You're taking care of something. I think you could argue the food star of this COVID era has been bread. Seems everybody is making it. Yeast is harder to find than toilet paper. Loaves and loaves are flooding Instagram. So why not talk to a bread baker here on Hot Takes on a Plate on the Believe Podcast Network? My guest today is Raymond Smith of Blacksmith's Breads in Long Beach. And Raymond, you know, one of my big regrets... Um, from when I was doing my show Restaurant Hunter is that you guys were on Restaurant Hunter Blacksmith Breads. But at that point in Restaurant Hunter, I was hosting the show, but I was in a way more of a manager than anything else. We actually did three versions of the show for three different regions. And so I didn't get to go to every place that was on the show. And Nicole Rourke, who was a great on-air contributor for us, very good friend, and also a coordinating producer of the show, I always did her a solid since she's a Long Beach person and I let her go to the Long Beach places, which also was just a gut punch to me because honestly, Long Beach is one of my favorite places on Long Island. So I used to get so excited to go from Brooklyn to Long Beach. And I, I so she went and I just remember seeing the segment and going, gosh, I, I need that bread and I never got that <laughs> bread. So um, I had to get that out of the way. But but how you doing? Good. Uh, can't complain. Uh, just thanks for having me on. I want to say uh, make sure I give you a little gratitude for that uh it was great having restaurant restaurant hunter there uh, it was really exciting for us uh nicole was actually a substitute teacher of mine in culinary school so it was really it was it was a good feeling for me to have somebody who was there from the very beginning uh see what was created uh from some of her tutelage so it was it was definitely cool that is awesome that is yeah. awesome i remember there's a great segment um I'm curious what what drew you to bread because from what I understand you were you were you know you said you went to culinary school you were a, a chef it wasn't like you went got into this from the beginning to do bread so like no. what what made you want to bake bread I think it started for me I was cooking at uh, at Noah's in Greenport uh, it was a very high volume uh, and I think I was just looking for something to take my mind off of the stress of high volume cooking. And prior to Noah's, I was a pizza cook at Cafe Laguna. And one of the, I don't know, one day I just had a day off and I just started, I was like, I'm going to make some pizza tonight. And just kneading the dough and, and doing the whole process from beginning to end, I went to bed much more relaxed. And my, my wife, who was my girlfriend then, she even noticed it. And uh, I think from that point, something clicked. It was like, let me start working with the dough again. Uh, I, liked the, I liked that with bread. Once you make it, it's done. You know, I would spend so much time obsessing over food concepts and different dishes. And, you know, I always had these aspirations of being like a Michelin star chef. And then you make this dish and you would send it out. And then these people would come in and they would order it. And then I don't want this and I don't want that and make it with this instead. And next thing you know, your creation is not your creation anymore. Um, and so with bread, you know, if if you don't like walnut raisins, don't order the walnut raisin bread because I can't take it out. <laughs> um, and I think that kind of had a lot to do with it. But it was very therapeutic um, at a time when I needed something. It's interesting you use the the phrase therapeutic because obviously so many people in this era are taking up bread baking. And I'm going to guess that that therapeutic quality is a large part of it. 
hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think all food lends itself to a form of therapy, uh, whether it's just eating it with somebody or sharing food with your neighbor. Uh, it, it's, it is therapeutic, but it can be very frustrating making dinner or, uh, you know, or having a, a dinner party and having guests over, but with bread, I'm not going to say that there's not this it's without its frustrations, but the, the process is a lot different. So I think a lot of people can latch on to the process of kneading, of mixing, of getting their hands dirty. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people do tend to go towards bread for therapy. See, I, f- I find it the opposite. Like I, the thing that I like about doing you know, more traditional cooking versus baking is that I can adjust things on the fly. I can Mm -hmm. tweak. I don't, I don't need precise measurements. I can kind of wing it. Bread is so precise. And if you, if you screw it up, there's no backsies. Yes and no. Uh, You're a hundred percent right with that. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pinch of this, a dash of that all the time, but you also, I assume you have more than basic uh, knife skills and prep skills. Um, the average person, I think, has read steps that are essentially just sauteing, right? They've, they've, but in the cookbook, it doesn't say saute. It says cook it like this. So they're not connecting saute to a process in cooking, and it makes it very frustrating for somebody who doesn't have those basic skills. Where if you follow a bread recipe that calls for weight measure, you'd be surprised how much room for error there actually can be because you're working on a smaller margin. Um, I don't like volume measurement for baking. And I also, I'm not like, I don't know anything about pastry. I've spent my whole culinary career, like avoiding pastry, like it's (laughs) COVID-19. I hated it. I was like, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to learn it. And the irony is now having a shop that has to also offer pastries as a supplement. So now I have to learn from my baker, Brittany. But bread is more forgiving. It, um, in the beginning, there is that kind of notion that it's so precise and it's so scientific, but it really isn't. You have, you, know, you have to stay within certain realms of things. But if you added, let's say you add a little too much water to the recipe, your bread isn't ruined, but maybe it's not a loaf. Now it's maybe focaccia. You know? So you have to think about it and approach it differently. I think what scares a lot of people, scares people like me is, you know, you hear these, these people who are really good at baking bread, talk about things like altitude and the temperature outside and humidity and all these things. It's like, they're getting ready to go, go do a sporting match or or something. It's like, (laughs) like, you know, it's not that those are not things you talk about when you're like, you know, I'm going to saute a piece of fish tonight. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, unless we're talking about boiling water, uh, you know, for us, it's easy. We're on, we're at sea level. Uh, if you were in Colorado, it might be a little different, but essentially you're going to be like, when it boils, I know it's boiling. Right. Um, I don't know. I think bread has been one of those things that it's very nerdy and it lends itself for people who like that nerdy stuff. I'm a huge bread nerd, but at the same time, you have to understand that you can do without the nerdiness and still make a good loaf of bread. All right. Well, here, of course, on Hot Takes on a Plate, you, the listener, get to eavesdrop on the ultimate food fight as I hang with my culinary world friends and other eating enthusiasts, debating them in their areas of expertise. And of course, we are talking bread here. So 
So Raymond, I'm going to throw some hot takes at you and you just tell me why I'm right or why I'm wrong. And I'm going to start with this whole thing about baking bread at home during quarantine. And honestly, I think if you're going to make something at home, bread is not the thing to make. It's not the thing to make because, and you know, I know you said it's not precise and all that, but to me, bread is something you leave to the experts. You know, there's certain things that are just easy to do at home. Like, like cooking a steak is easy to do at home. Uh, you know, but, but bread, bread to me, that's like, you know, it takes a lot of time and you got to measure things out and you, and, and it's trial and error. And I'm just like, you know what? Like I don't make bread at home and that's my, my bias of course, but I'm like, like, I, I'm like a couple blocks from Bien Cui, one of the best <laughs> bakeries out there. Like, I'm going to go get that loaf. I've got great old school Italian bakeries by me. You know, I can go to Caputo's or Mazzola and get just fantastic old school Italian bread. Why do I need to bake bread? I mean, come on. There's better ways to spend your time, people. Let people like Raymond make you the bread. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. You're... You can give it to me. It's fine. So, I mean, yes, obviously I, I have a bread bakery, so I want people to come buy our bread. Um, but there is, you know, you have traders and you have investors and baking bread is, is being an investor. It's for the long term. You're watching something grow. You're taking care of something where with the steak, you slap it on the grill, you take it off the grill, you eat it, you're done. It's kind of, you know, uh, it's kind of like a quick satisfaction type of thing. And I think it depends on who you are. I like a world in which more people cook and more people bake. It'll make my job uh, easier. And I think it'll take a lot of the, the know-it-alls out of the, uh, the dining experience. So I, I can, I mean, I can go real far into this, but I think, I don't think you're fully wrong. Um, well, I guess my point is this. So if I'm making... Okay, so like I compare it to what do I get out of the experience of getting something at a restaurant versus what do I get out of the experience of making it at home? And when it comes to a steak, for instance, a steak, like if I go to a high-end steakhouse, right, what are they going to do to it? They're going to throw salt on it and they're going to broil it. Like that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. If I go to my local butcher and get a piece of really high quality, let's say dry aged meat, whatever, what am I going to do to it? I'm going to maybe throw it in a cast iron pan, broiler, whatever. I'm going to do the same thing. I have sure. the same tools at home. And quite frankly, if it's me focusing on my one steak versus a restaurant focusing on 20 steaks at, at a time, I'm probably going to get the temperature I want a lot easier than 100%. a restaurant in a lot of ways. So I don't see the point of going out. Like I used to love the idea of dining at a steakhouse. Now to me, it's lost. It's like, why? Why am I spending that money when I can do that at home? I'd rather, you know, go to a restaurant and have them make me something that I can't make at home or that would be too labor intensive to want to make at home. Like I like I can't make myself an, a, an Al Pastor taco at home on a spit. I don't have a spit. So I'd rather go get that somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. And, and, and that's kind of my take on bread. It's like, I could make bread at home. It's not going to be as good as your bread. And your bread is not going to, like you said, it's not going to cost me $80 for a loaf of bread. Right. Why am I not just going to dig into my pocket, spend a few bucks and get a high quality loaf of bread? I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, you know, I think uh, 
for me, I want sometimes I want everybody to make a loaf of bread so they can see how challenging it is. So that maybe they do, they do just give up and come to the store, <laughs> <laughs> so that they really understand. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know that I have a, a true opinion on what others want to do with their time. You know, I've just buy your bread. Go yeah, to Blacksmith's bread. Just buy my Go to bread. Long Beach. Go to the beach. <laughs> All right, next next hot take. Bagels. I want to talk bagels. Ooh, We're in New York. We got to talk yes. bagels. Now, there's the big debate to toast or not to toast a bagel. And I think it's not as simple as one or the other. No way. My take on it is this. If the bagel is hot and fresh, like it was just made in that bagel shop, you don't toast it. You just take it warm and you enjoy it. However, if the bagel's been sitting out a couple hours, please toast it. By all means, toast it. Don't be snobby and say you can't toast it. I, there's uh, there are two different things, a toasted bagel versus a fresh bagel, but they're both fantastic. I mean, a toasted bagel with some butter melting in those crevices. I mean, we don't we don't sit here and go, oh, would you would you char some, you know, rustic bread? Is that worthwhile? Yes, it's worthwhile. Why isn't it worthwhile on a bagel? Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. No, definitely. It's it's the situation. A bagel should be warm. I think all bread should be um, should be warm for its optimal flavor. Um, bagel is certainly a form of bread. I think it depends when you're going to eat it. For me, a toasted bagel that I don't get to eat for 30 minutes is pointless. Uh, and I would have rather just have it regular as is. Um, but yeah, a bagel fresh, freshly made, freshly baked right out. Just put that butter on maybe a little sea salt and call it a day. Uh, if it's been sitting out for hours, I want it toasted and I want to eat it right away. I want to sit down and enjoy it. I don't want to have to go anywhere. I don't want it to like, I don't want the butter to melt and then coagulate again. I don't want any of that. I want to have, I want to have a hot bagel always. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, have you ever had Montreal bagels? I have. Yes. I have. So, so do you like New York or Montreal better? I mean, I'm I'm a Long Island boy. It's definitely going to be New York hands down all the time. See, I think the best bagel is is a, is somewhere in the middle. I think New York bagels have a better salt content. My issue with Montreal bagels is they don't have enough salt. I like hmm. that little bit of sweetness. For those who don't know, first off, a Montreal bagel is going to be smaller. It's going to be a little bit denser. It's going to be sweeter because they, I think they put honey in it, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it, it lacks salt. I feel like if you took a Montreal bagel and gave it New York levels of salt, it, it might actually be a better bagel. I hate to say it. Some of these bagels nowadays, they're just, they're too big. You've never been to Boardwalk Bagel in uh, Atlantic Beach, have you? If I have, it's been a while. You should get over there. Their bagels okay. are huge, but they're delicious. They're definitely hands down the best bagels around, unless I make mine on Sundays. I'm a big <laughs> fan of uh, over over this way. I'm a big fan of Shelskis. Shelskis um, started on well, actually, they started on Smith Street, and then they moved to Court Street, and they didn't make their own bagels to start. Um, they just, you know, they did Jewish appetizing and then they opened their own bagel shop in Park Slope. And now where I am near Cobble Hill, they get the bagels from Park Slope and they're, they're not oversized and they're fantastic. I think their whole thing is they're trying to go back to the old school way of making bagels. Um, really good stuff. All right. Next hot take. I think you kind of hit on this before. You were talking about pizza. Pizza is bread. Like, like pizza is bread because to me, the best pizza is one where you notice the crust. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be. 
You know, that's why uh, some of these, you know, fast foodie kind of chain pizza places are garbage because it's basically like eating white bread with, you know, cheese and sauce on top. Yeah. The pizzas that stand out to me, the ones that I remember are the ones where you could give it to me with no sauce, no cheese, and and I'm going to be in heaven, you know? And so to me, pizza is bread. And if you look at a at pizza and don't think it's bread, then it's not good pizza. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. 100% right. 100% right. Pizza, hands down, starts with the dough. If your dough is not on point, you could have the best sauce around, the highest quality cheese. If it if the dough doesn't hold that slice, if it doesn't give it the fold or or the, the, the proper ratio of where it's going to flop over, you're, you're, you're messed up. You know, something something along the line went wrong. Uh, have you had a King Umberto in Elmont? Uh, no, oh. I, I have a friend who swears by them, but I, uh, I haven't had it myself. OK, so this is what you do. You got you got to go there. And you got to get, of course, now we're doing to go, although I think they might be seating soon outdoors, but um, you get yourself the Metro pizza okay. and, and you get the Metro pizza. And I've talked about this ad nauseum, uh, both on TV and, and on this podcast, because I'm obsessed with this pizza. But my man, John Cesarano, he, he does a pizza. It's, it's the elongated sort of almost like Roman style, but it's, sure. it's his riff on it. And the crust is the best pizza crust I've ever had. Like, no joke. It is super crisp on the bottom but then the 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 actual crust it's fluffy and airy and springy Hmm. and so it's like this just amazing like bread it's like rustic amazing bread that happens to have you know homemade fresh mozzarella and and, you know great sauce and but it's but it's the crust like the crust will just it it doesn't make sense it defies logic are they long are they a long fermentation yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to say because I don't want to be wrong on what I'm saying. But yes, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds it's, like it sounds like a slow fermentation. Process. It is. It's it's a process, and and you know he's put a lot of work into it. But but yeah, I'll get another one. Corner slice um, in Manhattan in in Hell's Kitchen in the Gotham West Market. It, it's it's like the best focaccia you've ever had. Really? It's oh, it's stupid light. You could eat like six slices, and you're like fine. And you're walking because it's just so light. It doesn't it, it, it and golden on the bottom. It doesn't make sense. That's the best pizza. Before all this started, uh, 2020 was going to be the year that my wife and I did a little pizza uh, tour. But now, now with everything going on, I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to yeah. stay in Long Beach and sit here. Yeah, it's it's and but you see people starting to go places now. Maybe maybe in a way that's not um, the safest. That's the scary part. People yeah. got to remember this thing hasn't gone away yet. This uh, this little pandemic we're in. Uh, all right, next one. When you talk about bread culture, everybody thinks about the French. Maybe they think about the Italians, but to me, in terms of the best bread culture, and what I mean by that is not necessarily the best bread because there's so many great types of bread. It's hard to sort of compare, but the kind of culture where you need bread with a meal, right? Like you can't have the meal without it. To me, the best bread culture is Indian. It's like not even close. I can go to a French restaurant and get by without bread. I can go to an Italian restaurant and maybe I'm a little sad that I don't have something to mop up my sauce with, but I I can get by without bread. Mm -hmm. I can't eat Indian food without bread. Naan, paratha, roti. I mean, these are just freaking amazing breads. And, you know, I just, I want to scoop everything up with them. And I, I, I can't, it's the, it's, 
I can't eat Indian food without bread. It is, it is to me, it's the bread culture that not enough people talk about or pay enough respect to in terms of in this country, in this area. Indian food, bread culture, top notch, the best. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I would agree. Uh, um, I would maybe add on, you know, like uh, Egypt and kind of other areas in that fertile Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah. Uh, I think when I think the the reason also being is that it's largely it's uh it's predominantly vegetarian, and so their inclusion of bread is is uh is very conscious from a, a dietary perspective. Um, it's it's a supplement. It's a it's a texture. Uh, uh, combination. It's a nutritional supplement. Uh, there, there's there's certainly a, a lot of reason for it, and I think when you have reason for things, the culture is right there. Um, in America, we don't always have a reason for the stupid stuff we do. <laughs> we just do well, it. and we were talking about pizza before. I mean, naan is basically when you think about it, it's pizza crust, mm-hmm. and they're they're not very different. You know, pizza crust is naan. You know, it, it's it's the way it's cooked when you when you slap it on the side of the tandoor oven. It's basically it's going in a brick oven, and it's yeah. getting heated the same way. So, you know, if you like a good brick oven pizza, well, yeah, you're gonna be really into naan, and so it's just it is amazing. Like like doesn't matter the culture. There's so many similarities in how people eat around the world. Just different things called different names. Yeah, it's crazy. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that's like what they do over here. And that's what they do over there. And it's it's all the same. Absolutely. All right, next one. I have a feeling we're going to agree on this one. Bread should not be free at restaurants. The idea that you're going there and getting this freebie, I don't get it. I mean, bread is such a labor-intensive thing. It's not you know, even though it's relatively affordable, it's if some, especially if it's being made in house, like somebody's working on that. That's a lot of time and effort. And, you know, I feel like the term I hear the most about restaurants during this pandemic, if I had a dollar for every time I heard it is razor thin margins. So if you got razor thin margins as a restaurant, why are you giving away something good? A lot of restaurants are not giving bread away anymore. They're making their own bread and butter and they're charging for it. And I'm okay with that. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's it's labor and it's product and you got to be okay with it. So tell you know bread should not be free. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. You're a hundred percent right. I don't know why it's free. Um, maybe it's if you're getting crap bread and so bread, like you said, it's there's so much labor that goes into it. But a commercial loaf of bread done from beginning to end can take up to three hours. From mixing, it's mechanically leavened. It's it's really just they just mix the hell out of it just to aerate it and then it and then it, it bakes so you don't really have any fermentation you don't have any nutrition you don't have any flavor it's just a so that that isn't labor intensive whatsoever that's machines doing work so if you want to pay a dollar for a loaf and get a bunch of free servings from a restaurant perspective I don't know why you'd want to fill up your customer before they've even ordered um, I think 2020 hopefully we'll see restaurants taking back their domain and not giving in to the customer's crazy, weird requests just because they're used to it or just because it was done a certain way for so many years. That's cool. So now here's a new way. And this is the way we're doing it. And we're going to educate you as to why we're doing it this way. And hey, here's a loaf of bread that you've never even heard of, like a, a Vulcanbrot with a nice, rich, fatty butter and sea salt can blow someone's mind away. But you're not going to give Vulcanbrot away at a table. There'd be no, no reason to. And so a customer wouldn't even order that bread because they wouldn't even know how to pronounce it. Do you have a favorite restaurant bread that you've had over the years? 
Like one that just sticks out? Um, I'm so partial to Blue Hill just because of the time that I spent there. Um, I think at Stone Barns, what they're doing with just just of, of how they are starting with the grain from Klaus Martin's grains up in Penn Yen um, to milling it on site to different fermentation techniques, I think hands down they're in New York, at least leading the way for in-house restaurant bread production. Um, so I'm still definitely on, partial to them. Still on my bucket list, Blue Hill at Stone Barns. I want to pick up that, that box they're doing. They're doing that. Like, like you can go and pick up like a box of food. Have you, yeah. It looks amazing. I um, I know for me, one that sticks out recently, um, I guess it was right around New Year's, I went to Ratza in Jersey City. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, not, but no. it's um it's Pete Wells reviewed them for the New York Times and said the best pizza in New York is in New Jersey. Hmm. Um, and it was one of the better restaurant meals I've had in a long time. And I even though it's known as a pizza place, I call it a restaurant because even though the menu was simple and, you know, it was, I say simple, maybe that's the wrong word. It, it was, you know, it, it was accessible. It was pizza and meatballs and, you know, you know, bread and butter that you pay for. And, but nothing that I had there was bad. Like it was mm. all like exceptional and the bread and butter whole, oh, geez, I mean, just perfect. Um, and to me, that's the thing about bread when it's good it sticks in your head sure. because, because it's, it's, it is such a, it's, it's one of those things that like, I don't think people realize just like how magical good bread is. Yeah. It's elemental. Um, and I would, I, as a restaurant, I would much rather have somebody pay $2 for the bread plate, get it. And like you said, it sticks in your head. It stays there. And so when you come back or you come back with friends, you know that that person's going to be like, we have to get the bread plate forget about the yep. charge. We have to get a wait, wait, wait and see. And that speaks volumes for, because if you set the, the bar with the bread like that too, you're already put, you're already like elevating the other dishes that are about to come out. Because if you could do the bread this good, wow, I wonder what they're going to do with everything else. I have said so many times, like if you want to wow me with food, don't make me something that's like your quote unquote chefy creation of, you know, I'm going to combine this ingredient with that ingredient. Make me something that everybody has had a million times over and make it better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. That's when my mind is blown. Like, like if you could make me ice cream, that's better than everybody else's ice cream. And I'm not talking like you're putting crazy add-ons. Like you're just making me vanilla, but it's like right. somehow more magical. Or like you said, if you can make me bread and it's just bread, but it's like better, that to me is the the true sign of an artist to take mm -hmm. something that everybody is familiar with, but make you pause and stop in your tracks. Yeah, totally. Totally. And you're, you're lucky you have a, uh... You got like runner and stone not too far from you. Yes. Uh, I actually, I had a great, I had a great bread and butter plate at Maison Premier. Um, oh, another one, Grand Army Bar. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They do yeah. great bread and butter. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are lucky. You, you have, you have restaurants willing to take risks by you. Uh, Long Island, it's, it's a little hard to take that many risks, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, but I mean, you're doing it, right? Yeah, no, we are. I'm, you know, I... I put a lot of thought into it. I'm not a gambling man. So I know we took a risk, but there was a lot that went into it beforehand. Um, but we're, we're small, you know, we're so tiny that for us to do well, we don't have to appease the masses. You know, when you're talking 70, 80 seats, 
all of a sudden your whole operation turns to this is what we want to do to, well, this is what they're asking for. So we kind of kind of have to give them what they're asking for. Otherwise they won't come back. And I don't know. I don't, I don't see the point in that. Now, now you talked right there about, about appeasing the masses and, and not having to from your perspective. And I'm curious because, you know, we, we follow each other on Instagram and obviously there's been a lot in the news right now, um, which I even hate, I hate to use the word controversial because I don't understand how racism <laughs> is controversial. Like it's just like, or uh, political. Some people call it political. I'm like, there's just certain things like that and COVID, both of them. Like, I don't understand how public health is political and I don't understand how, I mean, I, I understand historically racism has been very political. So I don't want people to misunderstand my point on that. My point is, it shouldn't be political. There should right. be no politics. It like, but you have somebody who you have taken a stand on race with your business. And I, I if I remember correctly, you did get some blowback on that. And little, I'm just a little bit. And I'm just wondering, like, like, you know, there was a time when if you were a business owner, you had to stay out of all of that. Like, like anything, anything. It was like, you had to be like more, you know, you had to be Switzerland on everything because everything was about the bottom line and that is changing. And I think it's good that it's changing, but also there's been a lot of talk about sort of empty platitudes and statements for the sake of making statements. And I'm just curious your perspective, you know, as a person of color coming up through the culinary world, Having worked in, I'm sure, some some very white kitchens and situations, one, I guess, how do things change as it pertains to the culinary world? And like, like, are you hopeful? Like, wh where's your mind at right now? Hmm. I can't answer where where's my mind at. I don't. It's it's constantly changing, and it's back and forth. As far as the restaurant world goes, you know, if you have a chef-owned establishment, it operates a lot differently than somebody who, you know, made their money in a career for however many years, retired and said, oh, I always wanted a restaurant. Um, I think I think if you're the, the, the latter, you have to be really aware and of the fact that, like, if your kitchen is Latino, you need to, they're not, you know, they're not paid slaves. You know, you need to have their best interests at heart, not only just as far as pay goes, but as far as benefits go, you know, as far as standing up, you know, for them in a, in a big public social setting that lets your staff know, Hey, I have your back. Uh, you're familiar with Long Beach, lots of bars, lots of restaurants. It's always don't talk about politics and, and religion. Right. Well, yeah, Long Beach is a place that it's interesting because I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong here, this is just my observation as an outsider who's visited and really enjoyed the area, but there's almost like two sides to Long Beach. There's mm -hmm. the West End, which is more artistic and I would say more liberal, and there's the East End that's a little bit older and skews probably a little bit more conservative. Is that an accurate sort of depiction of it? I think on the outside, one would think that, but it's actually flipped. Oh, um, okay. Um, and it's changing somewhat, but the West End historically has been a very uh, Irish working class neighborhood. Party. Um, party, yeah. Um, and so you have, you have your young partying and then you have your old working class Irish contingency. 
now after the hurricane, you have houses being lifted, um, new people coming in, a lot of city folk. So you are starting to get a little bit more of a, of a liberal mindset, but you still have this kind of old world order. And unfortunately what's happening right now with everything is that they're making then, I don't know if, I don't want to say it's just the media, but everyone, a lot of people are making it a police versus black people thing. And it's not that, you know, I may, I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day. It's like, you go to this barbecue, you know, you have an uncle, uncle Tom's a cop and uncle Tom is great. Every time you go to your family barbecues, he has a football catch with you. He's always manning the grill. He's great. He's a family man. He get, you know, when you were young, he would throw you into the pool. So, you know, your cop uncle as being this really good guy, you're not seeing your cop uncle going out and, and, and working his, his beat, whatever you want to call it, you know? And so perspective of what's good is what they want is what anybody wants to show you and so here in long beach i thought it was very i was a little hurt that restaurants and bars and other businesses weren't choosing to say something because for me that's choosing to make somebody who might be racist more comfortable so now if you have staff of color, if you have customers of color, you've provided a, a comfortable area for somebody who can have too many drinks and start in with this conversation that now is going to be overheard by your staff and by your customers. And now they're uncomfortable. So their, their discomfort is something that you're not willing to protect over the person who might be here every day buying four or five $4 Bud Lights or Budweiser's. You know, I don't see... I don't see why you would want to do that. I don't see why you would want to allow them to run their mouth because unless you agree with them. And if you agree with them, I'm totally cool with everybody being like, Hey, hoods off. I'm racist. I don't like black people. I don't want my daughter marrying one. I don't just say that. And then we all know, but to like kind of beat around the bush and use other parts of the conversation to kind of defend your hidden racism is weak you know it's it's lame it's just the silence is 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 a form of that weakness absolutely maybe I, maybe, I, maybe i'm not making sense maybe no I'm you are and this is why i struggle with social media because with social media it's just people shouting opinions and it's hard to really get the nuance of a conversation so you really can't have a conversation you, you can have an argument on social media, mm -hmm. but you, you can't have a conversation. Totally. And the big question I always ask myself is, well, so, you know, you have some people out there who have some pretty messed up beliefs. How do you get to them? How do you change them? You know, like, how do you, you know, yeah, you want, you want to put, you want to put the anti-racism stuff out there so that they, they can feel like they are in a minority, you know, with their opinions. But how do you change them? Because, I mean, are they changeable? Because to me, that's the thing. Like, I, you know, to me, just shouting at people, it's not, how does that, how does that affect change? Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, am I making yeah. sense now? Yeah, no, I mean, nobody is going to be engaged in a Facebook battle in the comment section of someone's meme that they reposted from somebody else who reposted it from somebody else and have their mind changed. Oh. They're going into it saying, I'm going to try to convince this person. And if two people are doing that, that's not a debate. That's not a conversation. That's, that's just, I mean, it's stupidity at, at this point. Um, but I think, I think, A, it's to go, hey, I'm not going to change everybody. 
And actually, I probably will change very few people's minds. Understanding that and, and being okay with that is the first step. But for me with the businesses, it, it says, hey, you're entitled to your belief. But in this establishment, we don't condone it. We don't support it. If that type of conversation or if that type of behavior is witnessed in this establishment, you will be asked to leave. And what's going to happen is you will, if somebody or a group of people want to come in and have a certain conversation that is off-putting to somebody else, they will be asked to leave. And they will then say, F that place, we're never going back there again. But the reality of it is they'll be back and they just won't say as much. And they might still hold those beliefs, but if more people around them in more scenarios, whether it's online at a deli waiting for a sandwich and overhearing something and some stranger just chimes in and says, hey, man, that's not cool. Hey, you shouldn't. The more that happens, the more that person will have to reflect on it. And it will be on their own time. And who knows when it'll happen. But there will be a moment that will say, hey, listen, my niece yelled at me at Thanksgiving. The bar that I love to go to won't let me come in if I want to say what I want to say. That random stranger on the line at the deli gave me crap. Maybe, maybe I should look at this in a different way. And honestly, maybe one in 10,000 will actually think that, but that's enough that maybe their friends, they can influence then. Because that's how it's going to change. You have to change everything from the inside. You don't just bring somebody in and be like, all right, here, a new perspective on life. No, it's not going to happen that way. Thank you so much, Raymond. I really appreciate it. Blacksmith Spreads, what is the situation right now there? I know you've you've been doing some renovations. When can people come in, get the bread? When Because of course, tons of people are going to be going to the beach this summer. So what's the situation? So what we did is we we just kind of looked at the broader picture and we said, you know, what happens if if COVID-19 comes back in a in 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 full force? Uh where do we want to be and what happens if it never comes back again? Um how do we make alterations that will allow both scenarios to to work efficiently? Um so we're just kind of taking a little bit more kitchen space uh for us for the kitchen and taking away some customer space and we're putting in two um takeout windows. Uh so now what we're going to basically be doing is opening back up Saturday as normal. Uh, but we're still not going to let anybody in for a little bit of a couple more weeks. Um, I don't want to be part of the whole, you know, uh, comeback of this, if you will. So people are still going to be ordering from the door and taking everything to That's go. So smart. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, listen, there's plenty of other places in town that are letting everybody congregate. I don't want to be one of them. And then we're going to start, I got, speaking of uh, Al Pastor Spitz, I bought one. So, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. We've been, we've been practicing. Uh, we've been practicing with the spit. So we're going to kind of do a Jekyll and Hyde. We're going to do our normal daytime morning cafe routine. And then we're going to shut her up, clean up, and then stock restock. And then basically open up as like a taco street style taco joint at night. Um, and we'll do that probably till about nine or 10 o'clock while the restaurants are not, where the bar, while the bars are not open. Once the bars get open, then we'll stay open later. Love it. I love it. Well, Raymond, thank you so much. Again, that's Blacksmith Spreads in Long Beach on Long Island. Check them out this summer. And if you like what you heard just now here on Hot Takes on a Plate, make sure to tell a friend. In fact, tell two friends, share the podcast, get the word out there. Also, give us five stars. Why not? I think we've earned it. Leave a comment as well. I'd love to hear from everybody. Subscribe, all that jazz. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. Check them out at B-L-E-A-V.com. 
Until next time, I'm Rob Patrone. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.